John chapter 4. Verses 40, we're going to start in verse 46. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Um, as I have often repeated when I, uh, when I preach, uh, I believe that John is emphasizing to us the deity of Jesus Christ in, in the, his life story, essentially, or a portion of his life story. In particular, one, wanting to encourage the church. If Jesus is God, then, then there is a particular response that we ought to have toward him, and he emphasizes that in John chapter 1, when he says that, uh, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so John is encouraging us to believe and receive Jesus Christ as God. Uh, and, and I think this is as applicable for unbelievers as it is for believers. I think in, in every aspect of our lives, we need to be Receiving Jesus as God and believing that he is God, that is what changes your life. If you don't believe that about Jesus, then you can just do whatever you want. You can live however you want. But if Jesus is God, then you have to change. There's a certain change that will take place if you believe that about Jesus Christ. And I think that's what John is trying to emphasize in here for us. And, and as he emphasizes that to us, I believe what he does, as I, as I look through this, I think he emphasizes, he uses this word of bearing witness and testifying to, uh, to, to emphasize how some people believed and then bore witness to what Jesus did and others refused to believe based on what Jesus himself said, bore, bearing witness about himself. In fact, as, uh, as, as we've gone through this then, we've, we've focused through these um, after the, the kind of the intro in John 1, 1 through 18, we focused on what I've called the receivers, those who, who have received and believed that Jesus Christ is God. We've seen John the Baptist and the disciples, which is an important part, of I think, of this story, the disciples, because remember that there were several things that led to the disciples believing. One was John the Baptist's testimony. John the Baptist had testified about who Jesus Christ was. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, had told them that is who it was, who Jesus was, and, they, and several of them just followed Jesus at that point. Um, a couple of them had been brought by other disciples through the testimony of other disciples. We saw um, Philip and Nathaniel who were uh, ministered to in that way by other disciples, as well as Peter, for that matter, through Andrew's ministry. And then 
we also see that they believe in chapter 2 through a sign that Jesus does, a miracle that Jesus performs at, at the wedding at Cana of Galilee, which um, appears in John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And we know that story well. He turns water into wine at this wedding feast. And, and there's an interesting statement that's made in, in verse 11 of John chapter 2. This is the first of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. So he pointed to the fact that he's God. And notice what happened after that. And his disciples believed in him. So this was the response of the disciples at seeing Jesus perform this miracle was to believe. And to respond in receiving and believing what Jesus Christ said. We also saw that Nicodemus was a receiver based on his response and what John says later on about Nicodemus in his gospel. And then the, the, woman at, the woman at the well in Samaria, the Samaritan woman in John, the early part of John chapter 4. And as we talked through John chapter 4, there was this, I, I believe there's this emphasis in John 4, actually through the whole chapter, I think, that if you look at the whole chapter, the chapter as a whole, you have to see that there is this emphasis on the difference between a spiritual focus and a physical focus. The woman at the well was focused on something physical, at least at the beginning of her interaction with Jesus. And Jesus pointed her to something spiritual. And said, listen, I want to, I'm trying to get to something that's bigger than just drinking water and where to worship. This is about something that happens inside you. It's about a change that takes place. And this is, the, this, is, this is the change that takes place through receivers, for receivers. And this is, this is what happened uh, that through her testimony, based on Jesus' testimony, several people in Samaria were saved. Several people received and believed that Jesus Christ is God. Well, that brings us to this portion, and he is back in Cana of Galilee. And this is, this is the last of the passages of the receivers. We're going to see after John chapter 4 is a lot of unbelief toward, toward the testimony. In, in, in John 1 through 4, we see people hearing and seeing the testimony of Jesus Christ and the works that he did and receiving and believing him. After John chapter 4, there's a lot of disbelief. There's a lot of opposition that John records for us. And so this is the last of the receivers. And I think it's interesting that he, he begins the, past, the talk about receivers with the disciples who, who believed Jesus at Cana of Galilee. And then he talks about this last, um, or emphasizes this last receiver. There are other people who receive, I believe, throughout John. chapter throughout John. There's, that's not the emphasis. But it ends with this official who believes. And he lives in Capernaum, which is, I don't, I don't know exactly the mileage between the two, um, between the two cities, I, 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 I guesstimate like in the neighborhood of like, this is a big guesstimate, like 10 to 20 miles, it's a big range, I know. But I think that's probably about how far it is as I looked at the map. I could be wrong. Um, knowing that there's someone here from Israel scares me to even say that. So um, I could be wrong. You can ask him later if I'm right. But um, somewhere in that range, I think, is about how far it is. So he hears that Jesus has come back from Judea. Remember, that's where he talked to Nicodemus and then had to come through Samaria where he talked to the woman at the well, and now he's back in Cana. And this man hears that he's back from Judea and says, oh, i got to go see this guy. 
he heads down, he heads over to Cana and wants to talk to Jesus. He, he talks to him and says, I, I need you to come and heal my son because he's at the point of death. So th- this kid was sick. I mean, he was in desperate condition at the point of death. This man felt like his son could die at any point. He was concerned and he wants Jesus to come and heal him. And Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. I'm going to talk about that verse in a little bit. But then the official says to him, sir, please. It's, it's almost like he's begging Jesus at this point. Please come. Um, I, I just come down before he dies. Please come with me. And Jesus tells him, he just says, go. Your son's, your son's going to live. He's going to be fine. And and this man has an interesting response then. He, he, it says in verse 50, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. So there was some sort of faith that happened when, when Jesus said this to this man, he believed something about Jesus. He believed something about the word that Jesus spoke and went his way. Kept going. Lived his life, I suppose you could say. Just went wherever he had to go. And so as he's going back home, which appears to be the next day, his servants come and meet him halfway there, or at some point along the journey, and say to him, hey, guess what? Your son's getting better. This is great news. And the man asks them, what time did this happen? What, when, did, when did this occur? And they said yesterday at about the seventh hour, which is about one o'clock in the afternoon that the fever left him. And, his, and the father knew at that point, he said, you know, that's the same time that I was talking to Jesus. It was about the seventh hour yesterday. Because of what happened, notice, notice the response Then we have this again in verse 53. After he says, your son will live, that's what Jesus had said to him. He says, and he himself believed and all his household. And so there's, again, this emphasis on belief here. in this man's life because of what had taken place through these signs that Jesus had done. And so, what we can notice here is the things that Jesus did should have an impact on on what we believe about Jesus. This should point us to believing Him. It should encourage belief in Him. I don't think we always do this, though. I think uh, sometimes because of our humanity and, our, and because of our physical focus, and I, I want to come back to that physical focus because I think that's part of what leads to this. Just like that woman at the well was focused on the physical and missed that Jesus was trying to do something spiritual in her, and even the disciples in John chapter 4 were very focused on the physical, you know, hey, you need to eat lunch, Jesus. And he, he says, well, no, I have food you don't know about. Something that sustains me that you're not even aware of. So there's this focus on on the physical that we have as humans because we're physical. We've got a physical body. There's a certain extent to which you ought to be focused on the physical to some degree. Okay, Please don't stop focusing on the physical for the sake of everyone around you. Okay, You should take care of your body. You should eat and not waste away to nothing. You should 
clean your body, you know, those kind of things. Just take care of yourself. That, that is part of what you ought to do as a human being. But, but we over-focus on the physical sometimes. And, and what happens when we do that, we not only miss the spiritual like the woman at the well did in the early part of John chapter 4, but I think we also look at the miracles of Jesus as somewhat of like a sideshow. You know, it's like, whoa, look at that. That's pretty neat. You know, do another one. You know, boy, that'd be, wouldn't that be awesome to see Jesus, um, you know, calming the waters, just saying, peace, be still, stop to the wind and waves and, and seeing it all stop. Wouldn't that be cool to have been there? You know, or, or we say, man, wouldn't, I, I wish Jesus would do something like that for me now. You know, like when, when you're in your, I remember thinking that as a kid, you know, when storms would come, I had this, I was terrified of storms when I was a kid. I thought every storm was going to be a tornado. And so, you know, I'm, I'm like totally petrified and I'm like thinking, oh man, where, you know, man, wouldn't it be great if Jesus could just, you know, say, peace be still and this would all just stop right now like he did in, for, for the disciples on the lake. And, and you know, we, when, when it's just about that, you know, like, wouldn't that be cool to see or I wish he'd do it for me? I think we missed the point. Because then it's, it's like Jesus' miracles have become just like a sideshow and an entertainment for us. Something that's a fun story to tell or, or a good story. You know, one that will keep the kids' attention so that they don't run around the classroom and drive you crazy in Sunday school. Right? That's what we think of the miracle stories of Jesus when we focus on the physical instead of recognizing the fact that these miracles had a specific purpose. That Jesus performed his miracles, or at least one reason why he performed his miracles, was to prove his identity as God. To show everybody, listen, I am God because only God can do this. And that should therefore encourage us to believe in him. You see, that when you read the stories of the miracles of Jesus in the Gospels, it should just strengthen your faith. Not because Jesus is going to necessarily stop every storm that's in your life. But because it, that proves that he's God and he can take care of every problem you have, no matter what it is. And especially your biggest problem, which isn't physical at all. There is no... There is no physical storm that batters your house or tears your shingles off or leaves it in a heap of rubble that is a, as big a problem as your heart that pulls you away from God and, and draws you into yourself. So our, our obvious response to the miracles of Christ must be to believe in and receive Him. This is the proper response to seeing God work. To seeing Jesus do these things, we ought to say, this is God. That seems to be what Jesus was pointing to here. Or at least why John puts these, at least these two miracles in here. The one with the, the turning the water into wine and the, the healing of this official son seems to say, listen, Jesus is God. And you have to believe that. 
And this proves it. So, what, so um, I see two facts in here that reveal the importance of believing and receiving Christ. And these are not complicated. Okay? It's a short story. And there's not a lot of complicated stuff in here, I don't think. But in verse 48, he says, So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. I, I think this, the first fact here is that the Galileans did not believe. Okay? Told you they're not going to be complicated. The Galileans did not believe. You can probably already figure out what the second point is, but that's okay. We're going to deal with the first one. Okay? The Galileans did not believe. They didn't respond the way that they should. And the Galileans represent the non-receivers, the people who don't receive Jesus Christ as God, who don't believe that he is God. So when Jesus says, it says, so Jesus said to him, he directs his response to this official. However, it appears as though he's probably talking to more people than just this one man because the you here is plural. When he says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe, I believe he's probably condemning these Galileans who, some of which at least, possibly the entire town of Cana and Galilee, had seen what he had done earlier. They had seen him turn the water into wine. And it was like what they had done was come back for another show. What you going to do this time, Jesus? Do another one. You know? Well, is that, is that all? You know, can, can, okay, you turned water into wine. What you, you know, for my next trick, you know, I'm going to heal the official son. You know, like, that's what they wanted. And they missed the point. That, let me emphasize something here. Jesus and John, by Jesus saying this and John recording it, Jesus and John are not saying signs are bad. Or that believing because of signs are bad, or is bad. Believing because of signs is not bad. Because this man does. And the disciples do. The disciples believe because he turned the water into wine. The official believes because Jesus performed a sign. The problem is when the sign doesn't lead you to believe what you ought to believe. And, it, and it, this is throughout the Gospels. This is something that, is, that you can't miss this is not the only time that Jesus condemns people for wanting to see a sign. It happens in Matthew. We're going to get to one. I think it's in Matthew chapter 11. We're going to get to one right away. I mean, we're in Matthew 9 and in Sunday mornings, and the pastor's going to be talking about a time when the Pharisees asked for a sign. They asked for a sign later in his ministry too. Like 18, chapter 18 or 19, I think. And they're... they're the problem was, the problem isn't that Jesus doesn't do signs. He did plenty of them. He was constantly doing signs. I mean, even, even as we've been reading in Matthew lately and studying in Matthew, right, we've got the paralytic last week that we talked about that was raised and was able to walk. Jesus did a miraculous sign and to prove indeed that he is God. He, he is already in Matthew, what we've talked about on Sunday mornings, he is Healed Peter's mother-in-law. He's calmed the stormy sea. He's cast demons out of men. He's healed many, it says. At one point, Matthew just decides he can't tell you about all of them. He just says, many people came to him and he healed them all. Jesus didn't have a lack of miracles. There was, there was no 
shortage of signs that Jesus performed. The problem was that they didn't believe what they were supposed to believe. And he says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the irony of Jesus' statement is, even if they saw wonders and signs, they wouldn't believe. And the question that I have for you is that, are you like the Galileans? Do you miss that Jesus is God? Do you see what God is doing? And say, well, I'm just not sure that God can help us out in this one. You know, I need, I need a sign. I'm just not sure Jesus can, I'm just not sure God's got enough in the tank for this one. I mean, this is a big problem. It's a big one. I just don't know if I can make it through this one. So I, and I don't know if, I guess we're just going to have to, you know, grin and bear it or, you know, whatever. I don't know what, whatever your attitude is when you, when you miss the fact that Jesus doesn't have to prove himself anymore. He did it. He proved who he was. And he'd already done it to the Galileans here. He'd already done it in Cana of Galilee. He turned water into wine. And, I, and, and yet, at the end of John chapter 2, it says, and his disciples believed in him. That's it. His disciples. The, the only people who could come away from Jesus turning water into wine in, in John chapter 2 are his disciples? That's the only people who can come away thinking that he's God from that? It's kind of a big deal. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe that? And what difference does it make then? Are, are you still looking for some sort of sign? No, God, show me that. Show me what I'm supposed to believe. Show me what I'm supposed to do. No, you know. You know. So do it. Do what you're supposed to do. So the second fact, not only that the Galileans did not believe, but the official and the disciples, that is the receivers, the official and the disciples did believe. They did. They responded the way they were supposed to. And let me say something. I think it's pretty obvious that this official already believed. There was something working in his heart. There was some sort of faith that drew him out of Capernaum to Cana of Galilee in the first place. There had to be some sort of faith there. And then there's a little bit more faith when Jesus says, and again, I, I, you can't help but see the irony of Jesus' statement in 48 when he says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Jesus doesn't actually really perform a sign or wonder here. And the man says, okay, and walks away. He goes on his way. Jesus says, your son will be fine. He's going to get better. Okay, good. Thanks, appreciate it. We'll see you sometime when you're in Capernaum. Stop by. You know like that, that's like the end of it. He just walks away, goes on his way. And then we see his faith come, I think, to full fruition in verse 53 when he finds out from his servants that, that, that his son was healed. And it happened the very hour that Jesus said it. And he said, I was right. 
That's what I feel like he's saying at the end of verse 53. I was right. He is God. Guys, that's God. I just talked to God over there. And he healed my son. And it changed everything. And notice what happens. Not just, he does, he's not the only one with faith now. His whole household. Everyone in his household, this affects everyone. Because he comes back and he says, everybody, listen. There's only one way that this happened. It's because Jesus is God and he healed Bobby. And, and Bobby and his wife and his servants and everybody who was there, all of them believed. All of them. Why? Because they knew. Because there was no doubt about it. Because Jesus confirmed to them, look, look this is who I am. I am God. So, as we think about this story then, I mean, how do we apply it to us? How do, I mean, Jesus isn't doing miracles for us. Not in the same way. Okay? No offense to you know, Dave's testimony tonight. That's, I'm not trying to say that those aren't miracles, but it's not the same thing. Okay, Jesus isn't, you know, down here. You can't find him in Cana of Galilee. You can't say, you know, heal my son. You can't. Okay? So the way that Jesus is working is different because he's not physically with us in the body here. Okay? So, so what does that mean then? I mean, what, what are we supposed to get out of this? Well, don't miss how Jesus is proving himself to be God all the time. First of all, you can see it, okay? You, you start with Matthew, read through John, and notice all the times where Jesus does something that only God can do. You, you, you can't say, oh man, boy, I sure wish Jesus would have made it obvious that he was God. You know, that's what the skeptics say. You know, they say, well, John, John's gospel, that's the only one where Jesus actually claims to be God. So obviously John wrote that later, and he was clearly trying to prove, he was trying to, you know, impose this belief. He's trying to make everyone, make the church think that Jesus is God when Jesus actually never claimed that. John put words in Jesus' mouth. Well, first of all, I, I think that that argument doesn't really hold water. I mean... Matthew 9, 1 through 7 proves that too, I think, because Jesus is basically saying he is God there. But let me, let's, let's focus on the fact that, yes, he did in other ways by healing people all over the place and doing amazing miracles that only God can do. There's only one reason why we should believe that Jesus Christ is God, and that is that he proved it. He proved it over and over and over again by doing miracle after miracle after miracle that culminated with his resurrection from the dead. You should believe that Jesus Christ is God. Don't miss that. Don't miss that this is the focus of the miracles. 
Don't miss that this is what he's trying to prove. Don't get so focused on the physical that it becomes a sideshow or it becomes entertainment. But focus on what he's trying to say about himself by doing these things. It's important. But let's remember too that Jesus is still proving himself to be God. And I think that there's only one way that, the best way that he does that, the, the, the most the most miraculous thing that he does here on earth is changing your heart. He takes your sin-bent, selfish, arrogant, crummy, nasty, wicked, and what Paul calls it in, in Ephesians, enemy of God heart. And he makes you want to hear me talk about it. The fact that you're here tonight, hopefully, proves something about God working in your heart. And that Jesus can change hearts. Quite frankly, that's the only, that, I mean, that, that, is supreme, that gives me supreme confidence that I'm serving God. Because, I mean, I know my heart the way it is. I mean, even as, as a Christian, I know myself. I can't even imagine how, how I would be if it wasn't for Christ. He's, he's done something in Rory Martin. And I, I believe he's probably done it in most of your hearts too. I'm not saying just by being here you're a Christian, by the way. Don't, don't get that. Don't hear me saying that. I think it means God's doing something. And God has the power to change hearts. Only God has the power to change hearts. Nothing I can say is going to change your heart. Only who God is can change your heart. And if you believe that Jesus Christ is God, then you will change. You will be different. And I think that's, that's why we see sign after sign after sign in the Gospels. So that we'll believe. We'll be different. This is God saying, listen, you're not the boss. You can't be the boss. Not if Jesus can say, yeah, go, go your, your son's going to be fine. From 10 to 20 miles away. And it's fine. Only God. So that means you're not in charge. Not your life. You got to submit to Him. You got to submit to what He wants to do spiritually in you. Not focusing on the physical. See this. See what God's doing in the spiritual. And the miracles that he wants to do, he's proving that he's God and that he wants to do something in you. That's the miracle he wants to do. That's the sign he wants to give you. Way more important than whether God provides, you know, $17,000 for our mission trip. Now, if God provides that $17,000, does that mean God obviously wanted us to go to Nicaragua because we, have 17, we raised $17,000? No, not necessarily. This is God being merciful to us and gracious and kind in spite of the fact that we don't deserve it. 
Those aren't the kind of signs God does. I know God wants us to go to Nicaragua because he uses things like this to change people's hearts and I believe he can change every person's heart that's going on that trip and the hearts of people who are here who are supporting us to go on that trip. That's why I believe God wants us to go on that trip. Even if each one of us had to pony up the $1,500 out of pocket, I still think God would want us to go on that trip. Because God's in the business of changing hearts. God's in the business of doing spiritual things, and that's the sign that he gives you. He wants to change your heart. And when he does, believe him. Believe him. Because he's God. 